0: The ogre stares you down. It's your turn.
1: Okay. Uh, I hit uh, six damage.
0: Wait, wait, wait. You can't just say you hit. You didn't even tell me what you wanted to do.
1: Well, I just figured this would streamline the game. Rather than me saying, I swing my sword at the ogre, I can just tell you whether or not I hit based on my dice roll.
0: But... No... how, How... how are you going to know whether, whether or not you hit? The monsters have different armor classes.
1: Oh, trust me. I'll know. Just listen. Let's just try it out. And if you don't like it, we can always just go back.
0: No, I, I don't really like the precedence that this sets.
1: Oh, come on. This is going to make combat go so much more smoothly.
0: <sighs> okay, fine. But if I don't like it, we stop.
1: Totally fine. Okay, so that was my turn.
0: Alright, the ogre hits 4 damage.
1: I hit 3 damage.
0: Ogre hits 2 damage. I miss. Ogre hits, you're dead.
1: But I still have hit
0: points. You're right, this is really did streamline combat. This time on Becoming DM, we're talking about making combat more fun and challenging for your players. Hey, everyone, this is John,
1: And this is Danielle.
0: And before we get started, let's maybe talk about why we're doing this, what the purpose of this episode is. And I think that there's a couple of big reasons that that we've thought about putting this episode together. First off, if you run a lot of combat, it can sometimes start to become a boring slog where, where you really are just rolling dice back and forth to see who misses and who hits and, and if you have a really bad run of dice, it can seem like it's going on forever because everybody just keeps missing.
1: Oh, it can get so bogged down sometimes. Well, slog, I believe it's, it, it, it can get pretty bad. The other thing is sometimes it's, it's, uh, you can end up with, um, a struggle to actually challenge your players in combat. I know that I kind of run into this, um, probably more often than I would like to, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I like just throwing monsters after monsters at your players. Um, it doesn't really make it that much more challenging, as much as like you said, just a slog.
0: Yeah, and I know that we talked a little bit about this in our uh, our resource constraining episode, uh, and 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 re- constraining resources is a great way to make combat more challenging. But we're really going to today focus more on the actual combat itself rather than what leads up to it. So. Keep that resource constraint stuff in mind, and and definitely use that to help out your your game in the uh, in the long run. But today we're focused on on combat itself, um, and and because combat is really a large part of of most games. I mean, unless you're running a, some sort of political intrigue. Um, that's why we want to talk about it. We want to make it more fun for you as the DM as well as the players and more interesting and also make it easier to challenge your players as they go through this stuff.
1: Yeah, because like you said, with, like, D&D and Pathfinder are combat-centric systems, right? And that's, I think, for the most part what we talk about. There's a lot of other systems out there that aren't combat-centric, but D&D and Pathfinder are. That's, that's what your whole character sheet is about and all of the math rocks. Yep. Um you know and so ways to make that more interesting is it can be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, so let's maybe get started and and talk about where we start and I think we say this uh pretty frequently. Say, you start <laughs> at the
1: same place you always start.
0: <laughs> we start with the players. Yay. And and I think there's a number of things that you can do starting with the players to uh, make sure that it's fun, uh, but also uh, looking on the challenging side. Um, on the fun part, I think you do need to understand what the players get excited about. Um, and, and again, we say this a lot, but, but really make sure that you're balancing the game to the type of game that everybody wants to play. So if you, if you don't have anybody that's super into combat, then don't have a session that is 90% combat, right?
1: Yeah, you might lose lose some uh, engagement.
0: But even if they are uh, all super into combat, there there could be different ways that they're going to be into combat. So I know that I've had some players that are that are really into unique monsters. Like, oh, I've never seen that one, or or this is so different than the last one. And so, um, having having kind of a stable of monsters that you're going to keep on introducing that is new to the character and maybe even new to the player could be something that, that pulls them in and gets them interested and, and has, has fun.
1: Well, some people love that. And then you have the verses of that. I have one player at my table who would be, and I, this this behooves me, he would be <laughs> just as happy if every single session week on week on week on week was just 50 goblins that he had to slaughter.
0: Yeah, some some people just enjoy getting that that kill count up there and being able to say, "Yeah, we, look at that. We killed fifty goblins. Let's move on." I don't <laughs> care that I got thirty experience. I killed fifty goblins.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> the best way to spend your level fifteen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so, so what are th- what other things that should we uh, think about when we're talking about players?
1: When we're talking about players, I think that an aspect that um, i've'm i I'm, I usually am aware of, but I actually kind of find it a little bit hard to implement sometimes is truly understanding the party makeup and where their strengths and weaknesses are like mm-hmm. some of it's more easy than others like if you have an entire party that doesn't have a bow, you know that's that's pretty easy, <laughs> <laughs> but if your party is generally balanced on its own um finding their weaknesses and yet it's it's a little bit of dm metagaming where you're you're structuring a challenge or a combat to be more challenging for your players but that's also kind of our job is is to make that challenge right
0: yeah and when we say dm metagaming we're not saying completely structure the encounter so that it completely negates anything that the party can do um we're saying construct the challenge in a way that maybe they have to think about something differently. Maybe they have to approach it differently than, because I know that I've seen groups, I've even been in groups as a player where you just get into this groove and you're like, well, this is how we, this is how we beat combat. So we're just going to keep doing this over and over again, wash, rinse, repeat. And, and everything just, just works. And you, you change up a couple of little things so that maybe one or two of the things that they usually do don't work. And they really have to, to, adjust their whole mindset about how they're how they how they approach this combat and I, I like to think of it like doing this is almost like creating a combat puzzle for the party that doesn't necessarily care for puzzles in general but then maybe they have that one person that does and even if they don't i have found people that are super into combat they love to solve the combat puzzle even if they hate puzzles <laughs>
1: That's that's a really really good way of looking at it. Just thinking about it as a combat puzzle, um, because you know we've all practiced planning puzzles, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of finding the pieces and uh, kind of like where they fit, I guess. Um, but you're right, because some people they they love that tactics stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I will never be a commander because <laughs> I can't I can't do tactics, and uh, I just you know i just pile on like extra monsters and then that makes up for my lack of tactics that's my game plan well I and,
0: and I, <laughs> I i will say that that as you as you start changing up combat a little bit and and maybe they're focused more on tactics that's the other thing you do have to pay attention to is is there are, there are going to be some that are just like i just want to swing my sword stop talking about it let's go and I have I've played in games where I've been the guy that's like so into tactics, and we had the the barbarian, of course, that was just like, I don't care, I'm just gonna run up and swing my axe. <laughs> so <laughs> you better as finish the DM, your plan. <laughs> yeah, as the DM, you you do kind of need to pay attention to to who's getting into it and who's not, and encourage the party to to maybe uh, rush things along, either by just saying hey, guys, I think it's probably time for you to get moving, or by having the encounter come to them uh, if they keep talking.
1: <laughs> or another way that you could possibly mitigate that, and I'm just, this is just a spitball because I've never done it, but I just thought about it, is uh, if you know that you do have a tactics-inclined um, player at your table, whereas most of the rest of your players probably, maybe aren't, I don't know, um, if you kind of drop hints as they're coming up to a battle about what, what it's kind of going to look like tactically... Mm -hmm. Um, that might give them a head start on their tactic planning and kind of save a bit of time uh, during the start of combat.
0: Yep. Um, The other thing I think when we talk about strengths and weaknesses is to understand the abilities of the characters as well, not just the tactics that they do, but what they can do with their character. And I I think this this is kind of twofold because, one, It does help you plan out your encounters to where you know, like if they're heavy spell casting focus and you know that they usually use these spells, it kind of goes back to that tactics thing. The other thing that I do a fair amount because I I have recently been running games for a lot of newer players is by understanding their character when they are going into combat, I will proactively make some suggestions like, hey, uh, Mr. Rogue, you just hit that guy with your sword and did some damage and your buddy was standing right next to him you can do a sneak attack just say i sneak attack <laughs> because that <laughs> gets called after after you hit and so that that can make the players game more fun because they're able to leverage the abilities that they have and and maybe didn't realize how to use them so as the dm you can kind of help them along too. So it's not always about increasing the difficulty level. Sometimes it's really it really is about helping them have more fun by by utilizing their character better.
1: Well that and there's so many different mechanics that you can kind of sink your teeth into throughout. Yep. Well I mean look at how many books there are, right? <laughs> um, it doesn't even matter which RPG you're playing at this point in time. There's just so many books and all of that has different mechanics and different flavors that you can add to different scenarios, um, with all the characters. Every new build comes with new abilities and, uh, the, uh, it's a little bit troublesome as the DM, um, to go through and learn all of your characters' abilities, especially at higher levels, mm-hmm. but it is super helpful if you can.
0: Yeah, and usually my focus is on, especially those those first two or three levels, because by the time you get into higher levels, I'm expecting that the party is now fairly experienced. They've got their legs under them, they're understanding the game. And so um, as far as helping them, I kind of expect them to know their character. As far as making it more challenging, I'm gonna largely rely upon what I see them doing in the game. And so when they get to a new level, I will be pleasantly surprised when they whip out the new ability that just totally destroys my enemies. I'll I'll be like, Oh, that was awesome. Um, I know, I know now for planning the next, (laughs) the next encounter though.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to plan against that. And the other thing is, is that as much as it's good to create, you know, challenging dynamics by finding ways to, um, well, challenge your players, um, against like kind of their their abilities sometimes it's also nice just to feed them a win like just just straight towards one one ability it's like oh if any of you are really good at grappling you'll just own this and uh, it can make somebody feel super special
0: yep yeah so um that's kind of what we want to talk about for the party uh what, what's next on the list danielle
1: What's next are the words, which, um, you know, come up every now and again in Dungeons and Dragons when you <laughs> use your words. But uh, we're talking about, uh, like, narration, you know, describing what's happening in combat more than just you hit. Um, that will help engage players. I find uh, getting... It's one thing for the DM to take all that on because that that's pretty significant, right? Yep. But... You can also ask players to describe what they're doing, and people probably like if they're not that into role playing or or brand new to it. I guess um, it might take them a bit to get into it. They might start with uh, "I I hit him in the arm," right? But then after a few months or a few sessions or whatever, pretty soon they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna I don't know, poke out his eyeball, whatever they're doing."
0: Well, I, I find a good place to start with that if, if that's what you're looking to do, and especially if you have characters that are not used to it. And even if you've got characters that are players that, that have played for a while, if you haven't done this in your game before, they may be like, what? What What, what are you doing? And so a good place to start is on critical hits because it, it doesn't obviously happen all the time. And it's like their character's shining moment because they got this awesome hit and so they can you can say all right tell me what happens and and so they can kind of describe that and and then once they get more familiar with that and more comfortable you can expand it to other other types of hit but but critical hits i think are a great way to do that i started doing that with my pathfinder game and got some weird looks for a little while and there's still a couple that that are not super into it but there's there's a couple that that uh, that do seem to enjoy doing that
1: That's a good way to like kind of slowly ease people into it too. Cause like you said, it doesn't happen all the time. And so it's not this constant burden that some people might see it as.
0: I I think that one of the toughest parts as, as the DM, if you're doing all of them is making sure that you don't continue just repeating yourself over and over and over again, because then it gets to be just like you hit, um, uh, you, you, you gash him and it slices down his face and, and lodges in his shoulder. And if you say that every time, well, how many shoulders does this guy have? Like, has it, has it been lopped <laughs> off yet? And, 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 oh, I did this the last eight times. Am I, is that the only move that I know? And just stuff like that. So I try to try to make it varied. And I think the next couple of, uh, things that we're going to talk about are some ways to, um, to make that that varied. And I'll, I'll take the first one just because it's something that I have firsthand experience with, um, borrow, you can borrow some tactics from text-based games. Uh, so dark wind who, who used to be a, a sponsor of the show was a text-based game. I played it going through college and, um, and it was kind of like D and D, but text-based and, and you didn't roll dice. You just said, kill such and such and then it ran combat through and every time you hit it had a it had a hit message and based upon how hard you hit like whether it was a critical or, or whether you rolled higher damage or whatever it had a different type of message now it only had maybe half a dozen types of hit messages based on and, and so as a player you could very quickly tell oh it says tiny cubes of flesh that means I did the most damage I could possibly do Um mm-hmm. uh, my my kind of suggestion here is to take that and and build it as kind of a a scaled tier system and have multiple messages that you could you could choose from so uh, and you could have that scaled tier system based on um how much they rolled above the ac the amount of damage that they did the amount of hp left on the on the creature um and and if you have maybe four or five tiers, depending upon which one of those you choose, and then you have, let's say, half a dozen to a dozen messages that you've kind of worked out, then chances are that you're not going to end up repeating yourself a lot. Yeah, you might, like, a couple of times in a combat have a, have something repeated, but, but that's okay, I think.
1: I really like that idea because, uh, well, number one, I like it because... You said um, have a scaled tier system, and immediately in my mind, I'm already making an Excel document, and I <laughs> love Excel documents, and uh, so that made me happy. But I do like the idea of kind of having something pre prepared, right? Because like you like you said, is is you can end up kind of um, getting repetitious. Be like, yep. well. You, you're constantly doing the same thing. And it's really hard to come up with a bunch of descriptors on the fly. Like, how many times does your party attack in in a single combat, especially if there's yeah. multiple enemies? You could have to come up with 25 descriptors um, just r- right off the top of your head, not to mention the fact that uh, you can... Al- like, there's also um, a different variety of descriptors based off the weapon types, right? Yep. Because there's, uh, what, slashing... Uh, piercing, bludgeoning, and then not to mention all of your magic stuff, right? Fire, acid. Um, Ice. But even it. if...
0: All that stuff, yeah.
1: Even if we just take the base three slash pierce bludgeon, I mean, you can't say you slice through his skin when they hit him with, a you know, a two by four.
0: <laughs> well, I Depends mean, on be- how
1: sharp the two by four is. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> it hasn't been sanded in ages. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but kind of having having a pre made list, and then you could break it down into your different uh, different damage types depending on how into Excel you are. <laughs> um, <laughs> and if you do it in something like Excel or Google Sheets, um, I think Google Sheets can do it. But they do have a randomize function, and mm-hmm. so you can you can even have it randomize for you based off of what's happened. But that that kind of gets into a little bit more. Yeah, well,
0: even if you don't want to, like, figure out how to randomize your sheet, as long as they're they're numbered, you can roll a die and, and be like, oh, oh yeah. look at
1: that. Dice. Oh, yeah, we I have got... dice in this game. <laughs> I got so excited about Excel, I forgot about dice. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I think that perfectly explains how much I love Excel. <laughs> Oh, but yeah. So you can you can just number them, and you don't have to figure out the functions. And uh, yeah, so just make make twenty of like uh, each type, and then like you said before, if you have everything kind of scaled. You know, depending on how you want to go, you know, how much above AC did they hit, or how much damage did they do, or how much HP do they have left? You can you can really build something out that's really cool, and the best part is is that it would be really easy at the table and not take those critical mental DM resources to do to do, while still adding that awesome flavor to combat.
0: And and I think the other kind of neat thing that you can do when you do this is if you do have it kind of in that tier structure, then what you're saying can, in a way that you're not getting down to numbers and nuts and bolts, it can communicate um, how well they did against this creature. Uh, So rather than them just being like, oh great, I did six hit points of damage, I, I don't really know how good that is, if you're tying it to like the level of hit points of the creature, then they can they can like you can have your messages be reflected of like what they look like when they get hit and stuff like that, rather than the actual damage. Or you could have both combined together. But it's a it's a way to communicate how well they're doing without getting so uh, so nitty gritty.
1: I do I do enjoy that because I think I for me personally i feel like it always takes a little bit of the flavor and the realism out of the game when you're only ever talking about hit points mm-hmm. versus the actual impact cuz you're you're trying to make believe that this is all real right that's right. kind of like the goal of, of imagination and uh, when everything just kind of turns into math uh, i feel like it kind of there's a huge disconnect i know there is for me anyways oh yeah so absolutely I'm like, oh, he's only got 24 hit points left, and, and that doesn't really realize the imagery in my mind, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that that, that kind of really nicely dovetails into the next point is that description is more than just hits, uh, more than just like the, the sword impacting the thing. Um, remember that, that the enemies that they're fighting, they, in most cases, in a lot of cases, not all cases, they're going to feel pain. So you can describe their reaction to to getting hit as well, um, and then one of my favorite things to do if, is, is if it's an intelligent enemy is to have banter and 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 have them kind of on their turn make. Comments and wisecracks and stuff like that um, to the party, especially if the party is is just having a bad night rolling and is is missing or doing really low damage, then they sneer and grunt and like, ah, oh, you couldn't kill a fly and and stupid stuff like that, and <laughs> it, it's 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 fun because the players get more invested i think when they're being kind of made fun of by the by the enemy and they're like oh i'm going to take you down and, and it, it like just amps up the level of excitement in the game especially as they get a hit like oh yeah take that and then they start to banter back and it's just this kind of cool little thing that i've seen happen um, during combat do you do you like ever have your enemies banter like that
1: i've uh, predominantly most of my games I'm very monster centric when it comes to combats and mm-hmm. I don't know why but uh I recently just like the other night now this isn't the first time it's ever happened but just a couple nights ago I had them run into actually they tried to attack somebody who they they should not have tried to attack and so banter did ensue and it played out basically exactly like you said the more that my character was like wow you guys kind of really suck at your jobs and uh, my my party just got like more and more upset and like the PCs were offended they're like oh no i'm amazing i'm level 11 or whatever they are <laughs> <laughs> like, we can take you and they and they couldn't
0: <laughs> well and, and to that banter i would say that if you're going to use this in your in your combat you can do the same thing that we were just talking about with with the hit descriptions and and create kind of a list of banter that that certain types of characters might certain types of enemies might use um, so that again the the goal here is to to streamline it to where it's not bogging down the game but still have these elements in where where people are having more fun they're getting more engaged and stuff like that
1: mhm and i just so you, you had said just before this little thing about the enemies they're fighting, probably feeling pain, describe mm-hmm. their reaction. And, uh, I just, in my mind, when you said that, I was like, oh, that's such a great idea. But I also feel like if this is something you've never done before and you just go and you just full send it in, in like a session and all of your, all of your your creatures or whatever are feeling like all of this excruciating pain, <laughs> I feel like that could really throw off your party. So it might be another one of those, like, start with a sprinkle and then <laughs> lay it on a little bit thicker later. Well, and I think
0: that the with any of the tips that we're talking about here, if you haven't done them, don't just jump into the deep end. Try them out. See what see what works for you. See what the what the players respond to, because not everything is gonna like. If you implement everything in this, you're you're gonna honestly make combat take a lot longer because there's just we've got a bunch of tips here, um, and and, and the party may not not care about sixty percent seventy percent of it. So so introduce them kind of one at a time. See what uh, gets a reaction, and and when you get it, then. Like, be like, okay, this is what I need to keep coming back to. Um, Don't just say, all right, every time this person gets hit, I'm going to provide you how much pain that they're feeling. (laughs) Because one thing that'll happen is if you do that, they'll be like, man, we are doing awesome. Or they could be like, oh, I feel bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'd be worried
1: about. All of a sudden, they just (laughs) stop killing monsters. It's like, I don't don't like this anymore. I was having fun killing things, but now my feelings hurt.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever finished running a session of your favorite role-playing game and thought to yourself, I'm not really sure I ran that the right way? Or maybe you just tried out something new in your game and it worked really well and you want everybody to know about it. If so, you may have the perfect idea for a future episode of Becoming DM. Point your browser to becomingdm.com ideas and fill out our simple form to tell us all about it. You can even let us know that you'd like to be a guest co-host for the topic. Submitting your ideas helps John and Danielle relieve pressure on their brains so they can record more episodes. Go to becomingdm.com slash ideas today to submit your episode idea. Now let's get back to the show. So I think that's like the description topics that we wanted to, to talk about. So let's move on to terrain.
1: Sounds good. So terrain is um I think probably one of the one of my favorite things to utilize in combat aside from just wave after wave of monsters. But terrain um can really add like a huge chunk of flavor because it's so versatile, I guess. Um I mean there's basic stuff with terrain like it provides cover. There's mechanics for that super easy. People want to hide behind things especially when there's an archer. And, uh, or, you know, maybe your party wants to hide behind things because you've thrown an archer at them and this gives them an opportunity to, uh, kind of do something about that and kind of get out of the way. And so it can, it can benefit in that regard, but there's so much more fun you can have with it.
0: And the interesting thing is I, I've played in a fair number of games as, as a player and I feel like terrain is almost one of the most underutilized things in combat So often, I find our party in this wide open field, wide open cave, whatever, and it's just like okay, we're taking pot shots or we're, or we're soccer 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 balling the 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 enemy. Sorry, I I use that to refer to like when when all the party like surrounds an enemy like a bunch of kid, little five year olds at a soccer game, <laughs> f- football for my international uh, listeners, and they just like all try to kick the ball. Um, so that's all so they're doing. There's are whacking at the whacking at the enemy surrounding him, and so introducing terrain can can help to prevent some of that because you can't just surround the enemy because there's a bunch of stuff that's in your way. There's cover, there's all this other stuff, and you're going to get picked off if you just try to rush them.
1: I think, personally, um, one of the issues that I find with kind of how pen and paper, tabletop RPGs um, kind of go, and the it's kind of hard to mitigate this issue without spending a lot of money or getting really mm-hmm. crafty, is that... The only way to kind of like map out dungeons is on like graph paper or just sketching it out, right, yep, but that's still just a two d plane, and so I feel like there's a lot of terrain options that are immediately lost or maybe not immediately lost, but maybe not not quite so apparent that they get used often with uh with having height variances
0: right and, and i I think it's it's just a matter of difficulty to implement and yeah, I, I've been um, recently doing a lot of printing of terrain pieces because, um, as, as we mentioned in an earlier episode, I have I have my digital tabletop and it's it's great for showing things. And you can you can have the stuff on there and say, oh, this is a bush. You can hide behind it. But without a representation, it could be like, well, this is a bush. It's it's two feet high. Uh, um I probably wouldn't put that on the map but but regardless <laughs> you don't really have a a, a scale uh, effect of it because you're looking top down. So I've been printing off trees and columns and wells Oh, 3D um, printing. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, so so that I and, and I won't print out everything I possibly could use but there are some the the Players in the new game that I'm running right now are about to go through this forest, and there's definitely going to be some encounters there. So I printed out a bunch of trees so that I could have them on there because that's going to play a fairly large part in the combat and and uh, cover and stuff like that. So if you can if you can get the stuff, then that's great. If you can't, then you can you can use other things from your household to to plop down on the map if you if you uh, if you want to make sure that you can represent that still.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's always ways to to kind of bring those levels um, to the tabletop, uh, even if it's just cutting chunks of graph paper out and sticking them on some cardboard.
0: Yep, pebbles and rocks for boulders and stuff like that.
1: <laughs> there you go. Um, so we, there's also a bunch of difficult terrain options. So I know we kind of talked about like the up and down. But there's a lot of difficult terrain throughout D and D. I'm I'm assuming that there is in Pathfinder as well. Yeah.
0: Oh sure, and and difficult terrain could be the classic sense of difficult, where it reduces your movement. But it can also be a a number of other things, um, like traps. Traps could make the terrain difficult. Um, I know so that that's ne- t- t- typically not a a quote unquote terrain piece, but I think it fits in well here because if you're fighting in the in the realm of this enemy that lives there if they have some intelligence then they can probably set out some traps um and and know where not to go to avoid those traps
1: yeah that's the interesting thing about traps is that if if somebody sets a trap and they're coming and going from the location there is a way around them there has to be there just has to be um but other difficult terrain um is kind of well i'm kind of going back to like the 3d thing but if you're building like a like an up down top kind of vertical thing um climbing climbing doesn't happen at regular speed plus your characters always risk falling mm-hmm. So well and so- if you
0: have if you have an area that's high enough for climbing it can also kind of be used as cover as well because if you back up far enough away from the edge you may not be seen from the people on the ground. So you like walk up to the edge and shoot your bow and then back up and you kind of have this back and forth thing.
1: Yeah. Like shooting fish in a barrel, I think is the, <laughs> is, is the saying. Um, I,
0: I actually had a, had a, an encounter with my Pathfinder group that, that had like a large cliff face. It was climbable, but it would take basically a full round and then some to climb up to the top And there was an archer up there and they had some people on the ground and they just basically ignored the archer the whole time, even though she kept on getting hits on them because they're like, I don't want to spend two turns getting up there just to fight the archer. I'm just going to fight who's in front of me right
1: now. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to ignore that. That'll be fine. This'll be fine.
0: Um, there's also things like bogs and mud, um things that can cause a character to get stuck in place, uh, or even I like the the chance to pull them under. And then you can have some some potential drowning swimming type rolls uh, that, that you can implement in there. But just having it stop them uh, and and make maybe a saving throw to be able to move forward is something that's going to really change how combat is approached because they just can't rush up to the enemy and start whacking on them.
1: Yeah, it's just something that changes the, well, oh, oh, it changes the landscape of the combat. Um, Yeah, that's bad, bad word. Um, Oh, God, I can't get over it now. (laughs) (laughs) but uh, i uh, i feel like i used the wrong word there i feel like uh, whatever anyways um change it it can, changes
0: the landscape of the battlefield is what it does
1: the battlefield thank you i was well, i knew that something it, happened that there <laughs> yeah um yeah so if you can interrupt how they usually do combat by you know just just a bog right they just have to make one save to go through but that's going to change in a large degree how they're going to approach the combat as a whole
0: yep um similar to that is like a water feature that separates uh the party from the enemies so if you've got a lot of ranged enemies shooting across this this pond lake whatever sure it may not stop them from getting to the enemies but it's going to cause them to slow down if they're going to cross straight across maybe have to do some swimming checks and depending upon the characters like we had we had a uh the the fighter the strong dude just continually failed his swimming checks and Ooh. so so every time there was water you're just like nope i'm not getting in there somebody <laughs> else has to go
1: <laughs> not my problem
0: um and then one of my favorites is is dynamic terrain so We've talked about bogs and mud and water, and those are kind of stationary. They're going to stay put where they're at. But dynamic terrain is is things that are going to actually be moving with the battlefield. So I uh, think mudslides, avalanches, maybe an exploding volcano, earthquakes that, that open up cracks and stuff like that. Things that are actually going to have an impact on the characters as they move around the battlefield um, and possibly even do damage Maybe move them on the battlefield. I like the mudslides that like they have to roll to to see if they stay on their feet and if they don't, it moves them twenty feet down or something like that. Um, things like that,
1: yeah, actively displacing the party, which will uh definitely shake up the tactics. But when you're talking about dynamic terrain, and I agree with you on this part, dynamic terrain is my favorite as well. There's also different types of dynamic terrain. So there's there's natural dynamics. Mm-hmm. So that would be like your mudslide, which kind of whisks your party away on a stream of mud. And uh, But you can also have enemy-generated um, dynamic terrain. So say they're fighting a giant in, I don't know, some sort of temple or something. But the giant is super strong. And he he kind of sees that some of the party is is moved ahead and they're fighting with him. Some of the party is is held back, so he can shoulder and knock over um, giant columns, right? And it'll he can he can interrupt travel ways. He can interrupt line of sights, and uh, just by knocking things over. I mean, this is a giant. He can just throw a big rock too. But enemies can change the terrain during combat as well. And considering that enemies can change the terrain, allowing your PCs some control over the environment as well. Now, I think most of the time, I've never, I think only once have I had a PC suggest to me that they were just going to flood the entire landscape. Um, mm-hmm. But you can offer these ideas kind of to your players, right? So you can, they're playing and you announce to whoever has the highest perception check. It's like, hey, you just, you notice that over there, on that dam or whatever there's a tiny little pinhole next to this log or something and if somebody were to hit that really hard the whole dam would would blow right
0: yeah and i think that that's something that that we as dms need to be comfortable with and that the players need to get used to as well the fact that the that the battlefield is not immutable. It, it, it can change. It can it can change either through natural actions or through actions of the players or the enemies. And as you mentioned with the giant knocking stuff over, you also have enemy spell casters that can do environmental type effects that can then cascade into other things. So oh, just yeah. getting comfortable with the fact that, that just cause I have this map in front of here of, in front of me that I've drawn out and it's so beautiful doesn't mean that somebody can't come and trash part of it to make it more difficult for the players or the or the enemy
1: oh they're trashing everything else why not trash the battlefield map
0: (laughs) (laughs) um we we've really been talking about stuff that that kind of slows down potentially damages the players stuff like that but the other thing that you could do with this is add aspects to it that can speed up travel. Uh, so the, the I, one that I've used a couple of times is a secret net, network of tunnels that maybe runs underground where the, the enemy can transport themselves to other parts of the, parts of the battlefield, avoiding some of this um, difficult terrain and pop up and take pot shots at the party from behind or whatever. And if the party finds them, they could absolutely try and make use of them as long as they're 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 appropriately sized, um, which they may not always be. So you just have to consider that when you're when you're when you're planning stuff like this. Um, another thing is is maybe magical portals. I I actually did this very recently with my Pathfinder game where there were a bunch of different color style portals on the on the map and they would move you either to another dimension or to another part of the battlefield depending upon which one you went to and the enemies of course had been around here so they knew which portal did what and they could use them to their advantage and eventually the the players figured it out but it it was kind of fun to see them like okay the red one is bad don't go to the red one (laughs) the blue one takes you over there and, and just like work it out amongst themselves again back to that combat as a puzzle
1: I'm just thinking like I'm picturing that mid combat they see an enemy go through blue portal they come out green portal they shoot a bow at you you're standing next to red portal you're like oh I totally got this boom you're on the fire plane you're like oh no <laughs> <laughs> this was the worst decision <laughs>
0: I I had one I had one of the players um lose their uh lose their familiar that way because they're like, "Oh, I can have my familiar go through that. Go through that." And they flew right into it and just dissolved because that was what uh, that portal did.
1: <laughs> oh no. So, fun stuff. That's, yeah, <laughs> super uh, I bet it was an exciting combat. It was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Beyond the terrain, I think you also have to really understand how you use your enemies. And we have um, our occasional series of, uh, of uh, my favorite monster that talks about a, a little bit about um, tactics and stuff like that on how to use how to use enemies and, and things like that, uh, which you could you could definitely look, look at. There's also books and websites. The monsters know what they're doing and stuff like that that can help you understand the types of tactics that, that might be used. But. Aside from just reading those things, let's talk about some tips. So, Danielle, you want to get us started off here?
1: I think the most important thing is is really just to... I find for me, I guess, uh, researching the monster. Mm-hmm. Right? The more you know about the monster, and I'm not saying like spend four hours doing it, but I mean, when I first started DMing, I would open up the book and be like, oh... Goblin, right? Grab that. And then uh, this thing. That looks scary and it has the appropriate CR rating and so I would just slap that in there. And then I would find partway through the combat uh, my creature that was supposed to be the hard creature died terribly but I didn't read... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was expecting it to die but not that bad. And uh, and then later on you're like, you're like how did that happen? And you're reading through it and you're like, oh, this thing had damage reduction 2 or something like that. And uh, it's just something that you kind of missed, but that plays into their CR, not to mention mm-hmm. all their special abilities, which can add some serious flavor to the battle zone.
0: Yeah, and I think that that with knowing how to play them, keeping an eye on the actual stat block, uh, what their stats are, intelligence, wisdom, strength, dexterity, that's going to kind of inform you how this... Uh, enemy exists. What what their what their what their primary way of acting, especially in combat, is going to be. If they're if they're really intelligent, they're going to lay out traps. They're gonna they're gonna have a plan of attack, a strategy, maybe maybe an ambush or something like that. Whereas if if it's really low on the on the intelligent stats but super high in the strength, they're obviously going to be a bruiser that comes in and just tries to knock down anything it can. Uh, but knowing your stats helps you kind of figure that out and and figure out how you're going to play them and then and then you're right the the special attacks i think are are super important as well
1: well especially when you read into what some of them do i used a a monster the other day that had swim by attack and it's kind of like fly by attack uh this Mm -hmm. is but uh they they just run up attack and run away and my party just couldn't catch the thing. And uh, it was it was so much lower of a level than my party was. And it got very dangerous very quickly. But that was the benefit of knowing what that special attack was. It, it made the combat very, very interesting. And my party was completely engaged, even though it was wildly dangerous for them.
0: Yeah. And it just sim- simply throwing in something like a creature that can fly... Uh, that that can fly and and attack that way totally changes especially if the characters were not expecting a creature that could fly (laughs) um (laughs) it it totally changes how they approach and and what what may come out Then you've got things like lair actions and and things that the creature can do if they're in their lair that that responds to uh uh actions that the party take um which again does more damage, or, or levels the playing field somehow, or just gives the the, the enemy an advantage?
1: Well, that and, so I, I I'll be honest, I've never actually used anything that has lair actions before, and mm-hmm. to my knowledge, they like the lair itself has its own initiative order, doesn't
0: it? Um, gosh, now you're gonna quiz me, and I, I'm not I'm not gonna remember. I do like <laughs> Answer there my there question. are. Yeah, the, I I think lair actions are going to going to take part after they it can take part after the player takes a turn, that lair action can take place. Um, oh,
1: yeah, something like that.
0: I could be remembering this incorrectly though. I should have looked into that because lair actions was sitting right in front of me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I have I have read up on some some different lair actions and it's a really good way to kind of add that that big chunk of extra flavor and danger um, to kind of like a BBEG or just a general high-danger monster without having to throw in a bunch of minions because the lair itself kind of acts as the minions.
0: Yep. Well, and and you kind of alluded to this earlier with resistances, immunities, and vulnerabilities – do not miss those because those those play a big part into what the CR is. So if you're not using... Layer actions you're not using res- resistances immunities vulnerabilities you're not using special attacks you're basically every time you do that you're significantly reducing the the challenge rating of that enemy and so if you're wondering why do they keep on rolling over this this was twice their level cr um well that might be why
1: <laughs> not to mention without all of the special little flavor bits basically all you're doing is just producing meat sacks in different shapes yeah
0: and you're 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 basically boiling it down to roll to hit and and see who see who falls to the bunching bag first,
1: yeah, instead, let's light them on fire,
0: yep. Um, speaking of resistances, immunities, and vulnerabilities, <laughs> i I think that um one of the things that I really like to do is to use a combination of enemies that make sense to go together that have res- have. Um, those resistances—I'm not going to say all of them—resistances uh, <laughs> that that work together. So, for instance, um, in Pathfinder, like I like to mix uh, skeletons with zombies because skeletons have have resistance to um, piercing and slashing damage, but zombies don't. And so again, back to that kind of puzzle of combat, figuring out what works best to kill this thing that you're fighting.
1: Yeah, if you if you mix stuff up like that, um, especially when when you're getting into resistances, you can you can really start to mess things up because, like you said, it's the par- it's the puzzle of combat. I love that because um, maybe only two of your party members have piercing weapons, so they're trying to focus on the skeletons, or nope. They're trying to focus on the zombies. Yep, and then the rest of your party <laughs> is trying to focus on the other things, and that's going to change how your party interacts with that combat um, from their their status quo.
0: Yeah, and then if you can if you can then also complement the resistance with the terrain, uh, mm. where again where it makes sense, that can add another cool layer because. Uh, I think we've talked about the Dwarven Forge that I did a while back. Lots of fire, and I had them facing enemies that were that were immune to fire damage. So it was the, the the terrain could do damage to the party, but it wasn't doing damage to their enemies because they were they were immune to that type of damage. So it just it kind of adds again yet another layer into into what combat can be.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, get it just a little bit extra spicy. Um I think that we already kind of touched on this but I mean you were talking about your your fire dudes hanging out in your fire zone and so mm-hmm. that kind of plays back into tactics your your monsters um if if I if I had an immunity to fire I guarantee you I would be aware of it and I would know that the safest place for me to engage um a a band of adventurers uh, would be in the fieriest place I could find. Yep. And so they're going to use that to their advantage. Not to mention, chances are, if they developed an immunity to fire, there's a good reason for it. They're, I don't know, they eat sulfur or something. And uh, so they're they're out there, they're getting food, or they're, I, I don't know, protecting their home, their fire pit. This is mine. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
0: Well, I think that where you're going is like you do need to understand the motivations of the enemy that they're that they're fighting. So if they're if they're simply out for food and the party is that food, it's going to change how they approach combat. If they are protecting their home, it's going to change how they approach combat. If they are a hired mercenary. It's definitely going to change how they approach combat because if, if, if you're hired and things start going south, you're you're probably not going to stick around. Like, this isn't worth it. I'm out of here. Um, if you're hunting for food and you knock the first character down, you're probably not going to worry about the others. You're going to try and drag them off to have your, have your meal rather than fight the other adventurers that are there well-armed to the teeth. Yeah, <laughs> my,
1: my snack is already ready. I'm done.
0: Yeah. And I, I will say one thing here is, and I it took me a little while to get over this. If they have mind control abilities, don't be afraid to use them. It it, it yeah it can it it's really interesting to see what happens. And if you've got players that are really good at the role playing aspect, they'll roll with it. So uh, we were uh, we had a fight with a um, oh I'm not going to remember the name of the creature now. Oh well, a creature, a creature that that could that basically, it was a water creature that could do oh. do some mind control stuff. Um, and the the beefiest of the of the of the team was the one that obviously got up there close, and he got mm-hmm. tentacled and slimed and mind controlled, and basically got told to go and attack um, one of the party members, and and you can see the anguish in their face, like. I'm the one that does the most damage per round, and now I have to go and fight my party member. And so it it does, like, again, back to that, do you need minions if you can mind control the party? Maybe not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you could uh, generate your own minions, and they would be extremely dangerous minions, especially if they're mind controlled, because you could could, uh, get them to use some of their equipment. Yep. Yeah. Um, another thing that you can do is to layer your enemies. So if you've got, uh, um, I, if you've got a bunch of melee, right, and so everybody's just all of your dudes are melee, uh, your party gets a pretty good idea about how this combat's going to go and how they can work with it. But if you can kind of mix things up and build a balanced party, I guess, for yourself, right? Just Mm -hmm. like your part or like your PCs kinda have a balanced party. You got some melee, you got some ranged, you got some spellcasters. You can do the same thing with your uh with your bad guys.
0: Yeah, and even if you have all of the same type of enemy, you've got a bunch of goblins. Some of those goblins can be advancing with swords, some of them can be sticking back with their short bow to fire. And then if you've got, like, goblin shamans or whatever they are, they could cast spells and stuff like that. Um, But an additional layer to that layering, wow, that sounded well, (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, is that you can also include a combination of flying and ground-based combatants. So, again, changing the dynamics of, of how combat's approached. Not everything that you're fighting is on the ground now. You've got these things swooping down to to latch on and suck out your blood or whatever and, <laughs> and 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 trying to make the decision on who you attack first
1: yeah would definitely uh, well, i uh, i don't want to say it again but i led up to it it would definitely <laughs> change the way that your players approach the combat <laughs> <laughs> I just, oh ouch um yeah not gonna jump back onto that train but uh Another thing that's important to note is that it's not just combat. So mm-hmm. when, when, when we talk about combat, or at least when I talk about combat, I'm usually thinking, I smack it with my sword. But there's a lot of other things that can kind of play into combat that will make it much more challenging um, and interesting and exciting. Uh one thing that's that's fun to do is that you can include other activities that the party has to accomplish uh during the combat in order to um you know succeed or survive. Uh I think you had something for this, didn't you?
0: Yeah, uh you can make it to where they have to ensure a ritual completes. Uh my party was Dealing with this demon that was way, way, way uh, out, them. There, there was no chance that they could stand toe to toe in combat. But the religious leaders of the te- of this town said, "We have the ability to do this ritual to banish them, but it takes some time." And so, and so, the combat was was less focused on we have to kill these enemies, and more focused on. We have to make sure that this ritual completes. If one of the religious leaders gets dragged out of the 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 ritual circle, we have to like go and rescue them and drag them back. And and so in addition to fighting enemies that, that were like the the demon's minion, because even though the demon had them outclassed, I was still including minions because you just got to. <laughs> <laughs> and and so in addition to fighting them, they were they were having to watch the people in the circle, they were having to make sure that that they weren't getting killed or dragged off or anything like that, and I had a I had a time frame, a number of rounds that had to be complete, a number of rounds where the the circle had to be complete and the ritual had to be performed in order for the ritual to be completed. And once that did, it, it banished the demon and and combat was basically over. But it made for an interesting kind of balance because do you fight the enemies that are coming at you in hopes that you kill them before they get to the bad guys? Do you stand near the circle so that you can rescue the, the ritual bearers? Um, Do you taunt the demon so that he doesn't attack the ritual bearers, which some did decide to do and uh, barely made it, (laughs) (laughs) but, but it, it allows, uh, it adds in a lot more choice than just, I'm going to go and point my, point my ax at this enemy and fight them. Uh, there, there are a lot of different things that you can choose from to do there.
1: I like that too because it uh, you you had mentioned something earlier about soccer, um, and I feel like this <laughs> this would prevent that from happening too. Because sometimes, if if the goal is just you know remove all enemies from the battlefield, your your players will end up. What what did you call it?
0: Oh, I I I I I said soccer balling, but like I. Just refer to it as the, the five-year-old soccer players around the ball. <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and they'll just jump on one one person, one enemy, whatever, and just deal with it until it's done and then just move kind of systematically through the battlefield. And that's probably not going to be super possible if there's two different uh, ritual people kind of being drug off in different directions. And the versus to that is because yours was trying to make sure that the ritual was completed but you could also have it where they come upon evil cultists, and uh, they have to make sure that the ritual doesn't complete, because now we're trying to prevent the uh, demon or whatever.
0: Yeah, prevent whatever world-ending uh, action that's gonna gonna happen there. And <laughs> and I think in this one, you you kind of still have a lot of the same dynamics. You've got the 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 people creatures whatever that are performing the ritual but you also have the enemies that are trying to prevent you from getting to them and so again it, it boils down to like how do we approach this and is there something that we can do other than than grabbing the people is there like some some physical material that has to be there for the ritual to complete can i steal that and and so uh, again like adding in those those options so it's not always just i swing my axe <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that's that's I think re- the real kicker is is providing those options. I find uh, a lot of times it can be easy to kind of put the onus on the players to come up with creative solutions, but giving them a few tools for them to stumble upon and find um, number one can be super exciting for them, and number two allows you to kind of prepare for the crazy thing.
0: Yeah. I, I will say whether you're doing um, w- either either ritual side, I would say, plan out uh, how long it needs to be completed and and on of whether where they're trying to complete the ritual, try and be a little bit on the player side, Give them a little bit shorter time, but if if it's on the the enemy side, give them a little bit longer time that it has to be completed just to give them the opportunity because sometimes it takes a little bit of a turn or two to, to like get going and be like, oh, we need to do this. Um, so, but, but really do have that timeline in mind because you do want it to be something that there are actual real results that can happen if they focus on the wrong things because uh, we are playing a game. It, it should be fun and everything like that. But the choices that they make should matter. So if they make the wrong choices, that should matter too.
1: Yeah, there have to be consequences because if there's no consequences, there's really no point.
0: Yep. The other thing that you can do is have a regular recurring task that has to be accomplished or some sort of terrible result will happen. And I I think I've mentioned um, several times now the whole magical forge thing where there was a pressure valve that they had to keep on unsticking at random intervals. And if if they didn't, um, then this wave of fire would, would wash over the room um, with their fire immune en- enemies in it. Uh, but what are some other kind of types of tasks that, that we can do, Danielle, that we can have the, the party do as part of combat? Uh,
1: the party, well, I think we kind of covered some of them, like protecting things, trying to steal things, because you said they might have to steal resources from the from the ritual. They may, they might, you know, depending on what they have to do. You can also have uh, the regular recurring task where somebody has to go down, say you've got like a pool of water and they're trying to do whatever. They're trying to dig a hole, uh, unchain a lock, break a curse. I don't know. Whatever you can imagine stuffing at the bottom of a pool of water and making your party swim to the bottom of. Well, they can only do X amount of actions for so long before they're going to need to come up and take a breath. And so if you've got some sort of underwater combat going on, They're they're trying to get this this hole dug maybe to to get rid of the water kind of thing. But they constantly have to be swimming up and taking these these breaths of air. That's going to drastically change the landscape of the battlefield. Yes. Did I do it?
0: Yeah, (laughs) I think so. And 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 on the not breathing part, it doesn't have to be water. You could be in a in a cave that's filled with some sort of poisonous, noxious Ooh. gas that, if they breathe too long, knocks them out. And obviously, give them some tips beforehand or leading up to it that that would uh, would clue them in on that. But or or during combat, you see one of your NPC companions pass <laughs> out, and it's obvious that it's from the from the noxious fumes. But they can they can leave the cave and take a breath and come back but the the combat is still going on when that happens so just think of ways that that you can make them almost like have tasks that that require them to leave combat um and make that decision because if they if they stay on sure they can stay on for a little bit and they may take damage or whatever but eventually it's going to to be to the point where they're not going to stay standing if they stay on. So they, they have to make the choice at the right time to leave combat, catch their breath, and come back in.
1: Or you end up with those extremely epic moments of people passing their constitution saves or their fortitude saves or whatever saves that they have to do, and somebody's just yep. a champion in the gas.
0: <laughs> yeah, which is, which is fine too, because then they get to be like the champion of the, of the combat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nothing feels better than passing your sixth constitution save in a row (laughs) (laughs) like i'm unstoppable
0: another thing this is sort of similar to to what we're talking about during the ritual but uh doesn't require a ritual guarding something or someone um that, that they're escorting uh so this this could be when you're in a forest and you get attacked by bandits and you've got you've got somebody that you're trying to get to safety um Having that, that layer of we've got to protect this person uh in addition to the regular combat, I think, uh, again, adds in some of those those interesting choices that they have to make as part of the, the combat scenario.
1: Oh, it absolutely does. It changes how they have to choose. And then if, if they're guarding something, um so say that there's bad guys coming at them and they're trying to guard something. I'm going to go with something and some mm-hmm. – one of, one of the baddies just, like, runs up and grabs the thing and runs off, right? Because your party has chosen yep. to place, no, uh, kick a soccer ball. They're, they're ganging up on, on one. I don't know why I can't remember that. They're just ganging up on one of the monsters, and they've kind of left this thing unattended. So you can just have one of your bad guys run in, take the thing, and then you're just going to just skyrocket that combat and uh, it's going to get even extra chall- more more challenging
0: well and depending upon uh, depending upon the party i know that that i've ran games for several parties where you would have one or two people that are just like oh i got to leave combat and chase after this meanwhile the other, the rest of the party is like oh i got to stay here and fight meanwhile now the 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 tide of of combat is way overwhelming to the people that are staying because they're outnumbered and What, what, what may have been a relatively easy or or moderate combat before now becomes much more difficult for them because it's now, uh, the, the, the numbers have, have changed. Mm
1: -hmm. And if not, they're going to have to suffer the consequences of losing that thing that they were supposed to guard. So no matter what, you're going to end up with some sort of consequence. Um, you know, unless they're wildly successful, you know, then no consequences, only reward. Um. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but it still will add the reward is your consequence <laughs> uh, that that level of difficulty i think that a f- maybe not fun an interesting option to to kind of do is uh have you heard of the trolley problem before
0: i have, mm-hmm. I have like have you seen the good place the good, oh yeah yeah, I have, on, that's
1: a great show.
0: Yeah, like trolley problems, a big part of like a couple of those <laughs> episodes. So, yeah, definitely heard of the trolley and
1: problem. It's, <laughs> and you can utilize that in D&D. You don't have to make or Pathfinder, tabletop RPGs.
0: Well, so for, for our listeners, why don't you go ahead and oh, describe yeah. uh, the trolley problem in case that's they haven't heard of it. That's a good
1: plan. So the trolley problem is uh, you have a train that's barreling down the tracks. And I think in the in the actual problem, you're the conductor. And so you're the conductor of this train Mm -hmm. and it's flying down the tracks and the train or the tracks split into two separate um, directions, right? So you're going to have to choose one direction. You cannot stop the train. It's impossible. You have to pick a direction. But on one set of tracks, there's like 10 people like strapped to the tracks. They cannot escape. If you go down that way, you are going to run over them with a train. And on the other set of tracks is one person, but it's someone you know. Is it, isn't that how it goes?
0: Yeah, the, the one person is somebody that you know, maybe they're close to you, where the 10 people could be complete strangers mm-hmm. and or acquaintances or yeah, something just like that.
1: Not, not as uh, relationally close to you or emotionally close. And you have to choose which direction that train is going to go down because it's going to go down one of the tracks, but you have to choose. And so you can fold this into D and D too. Um, you can use a, an NPC that they really like. I, I keep seeing a lot of uh, TikTok posts about Boblin the Goblin. I just, <laughs> I like the name. I don't know what it references to, but uh, it is a fun name to say. And uh, so
0: there was a there was a meme out there oh, about Goblin okay. the Goblin, as well as as well as Sam Smorkel.
1: <laughs> I remember Sam Smorkel. Um but so you got you got the Goblin friend Frendo on one set of tracks, and the party loves Frendo, and on the other set of tra- the tracks is like the entire population of a village or something. Um, but right. I guess I shouldn't have used tracks, so. You, you've got this uh, landslide, the metaphorical, the metaphorical tracks. tracks, and you can <laughs> kind of fit this in however you want, whatever works with what you're doing. But say there's, uh, I don't know, some sort of catastrophe that's coming and your party has the opportunity to choose kind of which, which direction it's going or how it's going to influence the world around them. But there's only two or three choices and all of them are going to have a very specific consequence that they're very aware of.
0: Yep, and then and then you kind of get into those uh, gray shades of gray decision making, and and uh, it 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 just adds in that uh, that additional f- philosophical layer to the game as well. We keep on saying layers. Know, on there's this, so uh, many on layers. This, it's uh,
1: like an onion.
0: Layers and layers and landscape. <laughs> there, there's a lot of layers and landscape to combat. I can tell you that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if I know one thing. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so did we have anything else that we were going to talk about? Or is that, is I, that it? Is
1: there another layer we could put in?
0: Um, <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> I would say one, one thing that we didn't talk about when it comes to enemies is, um, also don't be afraid to have waves of enemies because then you can also gauge how well they're doing against a set of enemies. And if they're doing what you consider be, to be too well, you can have reinforcements come in uh, if you feel that they are not doing well at all, you can hold the reinforcements back, and and really kind of um, change the pace of of combat based upon based upon that. Mm-hmm. So that's the only other thing that I think I forgot to mention when we were talking about en- enemies. But I think that's that's also plus all for you me. can
1: choose what direction those enemies come in at, and uh, yep. and very much change what's happening. But. Uh, I think I think that that's uh, the only addition I want to add to that comment.
0: Awesome. Well, um, thank you all for joining us. I hope you have excellent combat adventures that are both fun and challenging for your players. Uh, We've enjoyed talking about this, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. Until then, stay Stay nerdy, friends. friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becoming DM. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are Becoming DM. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.